Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Our topic today is really about persuasion, and I'm going to quote from my guest today and say that persuaders are irreplaceable. So being able to convey your ideas and reach other people is an incredibly valuable asset. I will argue that your ability to convey your ideas is really the seeds that begin to carry whether people trust you or not a topic that we're going to discuss throughout the coming year. But today, I want to talk about what the new science of persuasion is telling us. I want to talk about some recent research that my guest has done on what some of the best leaders across a whole range of fields do. And I want to talk about this topic of storytelling, which we'll get to in the second half. So with me today is Carmine Gallo. Uh, Carmine is a best-selling author. He's written nine books, two of them, Talk Like Ted, and this another one, The Storyteller's Secret. But the book we're going to talk about today is called Five Stars, The Communication Secrets to Get from Good to Great. Now, Carmine has worked with a whole bunch of people, as you can imagine, helping transform leaders into powerful communicators. And he's worked with companies like Apple, Berkshire Hathaway's Home Services, Chevron, Coca-Cola, Google, Intel, LinkedIn, McKinsey, Microsoft, Walmart, and we could go on. He's written a lot in Forbes.com and in Inc.com as if his nine books aren't enough, and he's been featured in the New York Times, MSNBC, CNBC, CNN, and ABC's 2020. Carmen, I think that's more than enough introduction. Welcome to the show. Thank you for that. Thanks for inviting me to out of the comfort zone. I think effective communication, in order to be effective, you have to step out of a comfort zone. So this is perfect. I think it'll be a fun conversation for your audience. Excellent. Well, and I followed your work for a number of years, so I'm really excited to talk to you about it. Let's start at the top. So you've studied communication for a long time and obviously written a great deal about it. Is there anything that's unique today? And I, when I say communication, I'm going to mean effective, persuasive communication, because that's the acid test with whether it's working or not. Has anything changed? Sure. In the last 10 years, we have learned more about persuasion and effective communication than we have in, uh, since the ancient Greeks. And the reason why we've learned that is because there's a lot of science being done in the lab. That's why we'll talk about storytelling in the second half. Storytelling, we are wired to be storytellers. Uh, There are a number of other things that we're learning about how to persuade another person to take action or to connect with a person, as you said in the introduction, to establish trust and to be more credible. But here's what's counterintuitive about everything. Uh, And the reason why I wrote this this new book, Five Stars, and thanks for uh, having me on to talk about it, it's a little counterintuitive. We're in the lab, we're learning all these incredible things about how people connect with one another, uh, what type of messages act on your brain and and what they do to your brain and all these things. Well, (laughs) none of this is new. The technology is new. How we communicate is new, Wanda. We're having podcasts. We we didn't do this 10 years ago. We're, We're communicating over Skype. We're using PowerPoint slides. The way we 
transfer information to one another is new. The human brain has not changed. The tools have changed. The human brain has not changed. So everything that Aristotle wrote about persuasion and what he called rhetoric 2,300 years ago applies today more than ever. In fact, everything about great speech making, about great presentations, the, the way people have conversations with one another, the most effective communicators use the very techniques that Aristotle first laid out 2,000 years ago. So in some ways, it hasn't changed. <laughs> as long as we understand that the human brain wants to consume information in a certain way. We can prove it in the lab, we can reinforce it, but the fundamental act of interpersonal communication, that's not changed. And that's what I think is an interesting angle to take. Well, it makes sense. Our brains evolve a whole lot slower, I think, than our technology does. So no surprises yeah. there. Okay, now I can't resist asking that. If you say that the same thing that Aristotle wrote about 3,000 years ago applies today and that we know what makes for great presentations and great conversations, the way our brain wants to consume information, give me the like five-minute summary of what how that is. Well, it's interesting that uh, persuasion Getting back to Aristotle's thoughts, uh, it's actually very important. It's more important today than ever before. Uh, in For the research in my new book, I talked to everyone from CEOs to billionaires and from NASA astronauts to Navy SEALs, all trying to understand what great leadership communication is all about. But some of the most interesting people were historians and economists. And one economist in particular told me that the role of persuasion in the modern economy is more important today than ever. And I, so, so I'm probing why. They showed me these incredible studies that show that uh, 200 years ago in an ag economy, our value was locked up in our hands and what we could do plowing the field. Then the industrial economy changed things where our value was locked up in factories. For the first time, the reason why we call it the knowledge economy is that it's your ideas that have the value. That's your currency is your ideas. If you cannot persuade another person to take action on your ideas, then it doesn't matter. You can be left behind in a quick way. And yet anyone who has a great idea anywhere in the world who is better at expressing that idea can see a sudden Massive increase in wealth that is unprecedented in human history. I think that theme is not only amazing, but very inspiring that each and every one of us has the ability now to, uh, you know, to be a major player and to stand out. Well, okay. So tell me some of the things you're learning from all of these amazing people that you've talked to. And I recognize a whole host of people from academics to NASA to Navy SEALs to corporate CEOs to entrepreneurs. I mean, it's quite an interesting list of people. So what are your insights? Some of my insights um, revolve around the fact that people crave simplicity. And I know we always say that, keep things simple, but we never seem to do it, Wanda. The uh, PowerPoint culture only expands into, uh, you know, if you want to get a job at a consulting firm like McKinsey or Accenture, uh, these MBAs walk in there with 100 100 slide decks. And I'm hearing from the senior partners at those type of consulting firms that they want shorter decks. They don't Mm -hmm 
the volume of content and data doesn't impress them as much. If you can distill a, a very complicated message into two slides, that's more interesting and that's more appealing than someone who just dumps data and information on 100 slides. So what I'm seeing is this trend toward simplicity, but taking complexity and making it as simple as possible. And that's yeah. hard. Uh, what we're talking about are some more advanced skills. If this was a whole conversa conversation on how to deliver a better presentation, make more eye contact, don't read from notes, do, uh, don't turn your back to the audience and read from the slide. I think that's conversation 101. But mm -hmm. the difference is that in more advanced leadership scenarios, more advanced entrepreneurship scenarios, it's really important to understand that if you can communicate more effectively and simply and distill complexity in a way that people understand and can act upon, then that is a very valuable trait that will set you apart in any field. That's what I find so fascinating. I have interviewed so many people, millennials and, and older people as well, who are promoted faster than their peers in different fields. People who are recognized by their senior management or senior bosses. Uh, people who step up into leadership positions. I've talked to HR people about what they look for. And to a person, the folks who are better at delivering a presentation that is clear, succinct, impactful, interesting, memorable, are the ones who get promoted. They're the ones who make the sales. They're the ones who stand out in their corporation and, and get the investments as the, uh, from entrepreneurs as well. My frustration is how many people are not getting the recognition they deserve. How many people are not getting, how many startups are not getting the investment they need. They may have a great idea, but they cannot communicate that idea simply enough. Yeah. Yeah. So this whole we trend, see, I think, yeah. wanted towards simplicity. That, that's something that's definitely popping out at me. Can I just make a comment about that one? Um, yeah. uh, two researchers a number of years ago studying ambiguity, Randall White and um, Hodgson, looking at this, talking about ambiguity, uncertainty, people who deal well with uncertainty have these concepts that it, it's exactly what you're talking about. It's the ability to take the complex and make it understandable to somebody else, to translate from one language to another language, and to cut through all that's being said to get down to the essence of a core idea. And that was one of the big drivers for people and organizations' ability to deal with uncertainty. And so it's fascinating to me that yet again, this notion of simplicity and communicating that you said in clear, succinct, memorable, actionable ways is coming through again and again and again. Okay? I wrote down that, Randall White, uh, because I think communication is a gray area. And... It's complicated, <laughs> and there are a lot of different ways of approaching the same subject. So yeah. I'm constantly learning, and I think if you want to be a great communicator, you do have to have that growth mindset that I know you've talked about in the past, uh, that, that mindset of always learning something new 
and l- listening to great communicators and talking to great communicators and, and reading some of the research that's out there. Eventually, it does get, all get back to Aristotle at some point. That, that's what's been truly remarkable for me. It all gets back to Aristotle at some point. But it, it's great to read it in right. sort of a contemporary way so you understand it. Right. Uh, can I give you a quick uh, example of something I learned from Richard Branson, which is in this book? Yes. We yes, were talking please. about simplicity. So Richard Branson is exactly who you would think he is. He is one of the few leaders who I've ever met who, is, who, who lives his reputation. Uh, if you have a stereotype of yep. what he would be like in person, that's him. So very fun, very open, uh, somewhat humble, you know, uh, just uh, not the type of billionaire you'd expect. And I have, I've met him twice. But in this last conversation that I have in, in the Five Stars book, we talked, about, uh, we talked about storytelling, but we also talked about simplicity. And he said something really funny. He said, Carmine, if your idea cannot fit on the back of a beer coaster, I'm not interested. A be- <laughs> he specifically said beer coaster. I said, beer coaster? Does, that, does this mean I have to pitch you at a pub or something? He said, believe it or not, I created a Virgin Australia Airlines, uh, which is the only major airline taken on Qantas in Australia, based on a pitch that his former CFO gave him on the back of a beer coaster. He said, if, if you can condense your idea onto something as small as a coaster, I've got, you'll have my attention, because that means you really thought it through. Isn't that interesting, Wanda? It's counterintuitive, isn't it? It, it's, it is. He doesn't want 100 slides. He wants something that can fit on a coaster. Mm-hmm. Because that proves to him that you've thought, the more you think it through, is the more you can condense it. And, and that's, that's hard. That, that does take work and creativity, and you have to really think through your message. But it makes so much more of an impact that way. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things, um, my background way, way back has to do with studying for memory and how people remember things, particularly things that are spoken word. And one of the interesting things about this one is that if you make it too complicated, if it's not well-structured, simple, straightforward, nobody remembers it. So, what you want is somebody thinking about your idea and turning your idea over in their head and having remembered what you said. And a beer coaster is a perfect way of getting that because there's both the visual as well as the simplicity. I, it makes a ton of sense to me on why that would be engaging. I think it takes courage, and this is a good for all your listeners. We, we need to remember this. It takes courage to be simple. It yeah. takes courage because I think it's easy just to open PowerPoint and dump a whole bunch of information on there, all the information you would want, rather than deciding which of these points I'm going to eliminate, what am I going to highlight, uh, because you may be highlighting the wrong thing, you may be taking out the wrong thing. There's a lot of second-guessing. Also, uh, I do talk to these major consulting companies. I've already mentioned them, McKinsey, Accenture, and others. One, I don't know if you understand like the background of that. Those are really, really hard um, organizations to work for. They only sure. take like the sure. top 1% of, and you have to have a you know, Ivy League type of degree. Well, what happens is these Ivy Leaguers come in, and they've got their MBAs from these famous schools, so they feel as though, I have to give you more. I have to show you all of yeah. the data 
and the research that I've done. Look at me. Look at my 200 slides. And the senior partners, the people who are making over a million dollars a year who have been working in the industry for 20 years, they tell those, those recent grads, you're too complicated. If you were to drop this into a customer's or a client's office, they wouldn't understand a thing. You've already lost them. Yeah. So I think well, it, and- takes, it takes a little courage to kind of, like we said, get out of that comfort zone. Uh, and take a risk. It's one of the things that I find experts who are transitioning into something where they're not the expert is it just struggle with this concept because their entire life and being is around all the stuff I know, all the experiences I have, all the data I have, all the observations I have. And they think that their value is the ability to convey all of that information. That's and really as, interesting. Yep. And so, you know, people will say to me, how can the senior leaders possibly make a decision on the risk of whether we're doing this particular deal or not without knowing 200 slides and 500 models and, you know, all the contingencies and everything? And all they want is three bullet points. You must be kidding me. How do they do that? But it's getting it down to what's the essence in those three bullet points that you really need to understand to know what's driving the decision. That's the secret. But we can talk about that. We can talk about that for this entire hour, and it still takes courage to do it. No question. No question. You really do. Uh, Let me give you an example. Uh, So over the summer, I was working, I was asked to work with a senior vice president of one of the largest medical device makers in the world. Uh, And his division is one of the fastest growing divisions. So I uh, connected with him and he said, uh, thanks to you, I am in this VP role. And I said, what do you mean thanks to me? He said, I, I read your, one of the books I read, I wrote was Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs. Um, mm-hmm. And I wrote some other books that you've mentioned, but many of those go into simplicity, right? Really focusing on less is more and how to make more of an impact with fewer slides, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. He said he grew throughout the organization because he was more impactful as a communicator. But he realized that when he first started working at the company, he, it was overloading the senior, uh, the senior decision makers. He said, when you go into the CEO's office, you, you are given 20 minutes in the CEO of the, one of the biggest companies in the world. You have 20 minutes to convince him to shift some budget to your research project. You've got 20 minutes. So the first time was a failure because it was way too complicated, way too convoluted. Part, some of my team members who were also presenting spent 10 minutes on one slide, and we still had like yeah. 30 slides to go. Yeah, yeah. And, and he said, so I read your books, simplified it. The next time we, got, we came in, we got, the, we got the money because he could see very clearly very clear, in seven slides, by the way, not 30, like they had earlier, seven. He, he was able to realize, oh, this is what they're asking for, how it fits into this company, how we're going to make money, and <laughs> how it improves our growth in seven slides. And he said he didn't realize the power of that until he started reading some of my books. So I think that people can do this, but they have to understand why, why this is so impactful. Yeah. 
All right. So let's assume for the moment that we've persuaded everybody that cutting it down to the essence, to the core, to the simplicity without losing the complexity that matters in that. Do you have advice on how? Where do people begin to cut down to get to that simplicity that's so good? I have a I have number a number of tips, but there's one in particular that's working very very well for everyone who I've I've talked to and the companies I work with, and that's thinking of the big picture in terms of a headline. Uh, I used to call it a headline. So it, when we write, if you write a blog post, if you write a book, there's got to be the headline. What is the the one sentence that's going to grab your attention and get you interested in reading? Obviously. People on the internet uh, spend a long, a lot of time and research figuring out the headline. Well, I have a new word for it now. Now I call it the log line, L-O-G, log line. And okay. I picked that up from a screenwriter in Hollywood because screenwriters are great storytellers. But here's mm-hmm. something I didn't know. Screenwriters have to walk into a producer's office and pitch them on their film. And in, as soon as they walk in, the producer asks them, what is your, the log line? That's a, that's a real question they ask. What is the log line? The log line in one sentence is, what's the movie poster? What's the movie yeah. about? They want to be able to visualize in one sentence, how do I tell people what the movie's about and intrigue them to read more or to watch the movie? If you don't have a log line, you don't make a sale. Well, I think everything, Wanda, has to have a log line. So Uh, give me an example of a log line in the world. Well, a log line in in Hollywood would be um, an angry angry shark with an appetite for swimmers. You know, something like that. (laughs) There was a great log line for a Steven Spielberg movie, right? Jaws in 1975 is one of the greatest log lines ever. And it said, uh, oh, no, it started like this. I'm just, I'm trying to remember it because I saw it. Uh, it started with the, uh, a police captain. It was um, a police captain with a fear of open water battles a gigantic shark with an appetite for swimmers and boat captains. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's perfect. <laughs> you know, sold. So that that was like one of the greatest log lines ever written. But there are books on this. There are books on it for screenwriters uh, because it's that important. Wow. That's the pitch meeting. And it, I realized that this happens all the time. I've talked to a number of venture capitalists who I interviewed for the book who say, if you can't tell me what you're trying to do or what your company is about in one sentence, I'm not interested. So let me give you one from corporate America. That's a perfect example. This would be a log line. Sergey Brin and Larry Page walk into the offices of Sequoia Capital in the late 90s, and they pitch an idea for a company called Google. Google makes the the, um, web accessible to everyone. Google organizes and makes the Internet accessible to everyone. And the, uh, the venture capitalist behind that, Michael Moritz, who was one of the first big investors in Google, said that in one sentence, he was able to get it immediately. And so ever since then, they ask pr- prospective entrepreneurs, what's your one-liner? So see, they don't use the word log line. 
That's more of a mm-hmm. Hollywood thing. But they say, what's huh? your one-liner? They're asking the same thing. In same one thing. sentence, in one sentence, what's your company about? What's right. your movie about? I think this is hard, Wanda, to be honest. Right. I, I've worked with, with divisions who come out with a divisions of companies who come out with a new product or a new service. We've spent four hours trying to distill it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's much more powerful in the end. But again, this does take a little work. What we're talking about is advanced. It takes work. Anyone can open a presentation and dump a bunch of information on the slide. That's easy. Right. Right. I was working with a group of um, strategy executives not too long ago, and we were talking about this notion of what's your point, you know, trying to get them to understand, in effect, your one-liner. What's the point you're trying to convey? And if you don't know that, then you get lost in everything else. And it's amazing how hard it is for people who knew what they wanted to do in their next meeting, very clear what the script was, how hard it was to get them to articulate what the point was. I agree with you. I think it takes work. It's just not straightforward. Oh, good. So it's not just me. I wasn't sure if it was me not making the point clearly enough. It is. Hard, I doubt it? that, Carmine. I doubt that <laughs> one very, very seriously. Um, and there was oh, and Shark Tank. If you look at the people who produce Shark Tank and say, you know, what are the ideas that really succeed? What are the really ones that really, really sell? It's when you can tell me what the problem is you're solving, your one-liner, mm-hmm. and preferably show it to me. Show me how mm-hmm. it solves the problem. Excellent. Yes. And Barbara Corcoran, uh, who I interviewed many years ago for my first book, is really into communication skills. And I I recall, uh, this was at least 10 years ago, this was before she was on Shark Tank. She says, I I, I can size up a pitch, because, you know, she's in real estate and she gets uh, pitched all the time. She said, I I could size you up in like 10 seconds. Well, Mm -hmm. I think that some of that is nonverbal. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Some of that is probably right. how they dress, how they look, how they act, their, their vocal delivery. Uh, but I bet what she was trying to say is, uh, can you tell me quickly and succinctly what the problem is that you're trying to solve? Yeah. 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 So she said okay. 10 seconds. Who knows, Wanda? Maybe it's more like 30 seconds. Uh, but I, I think more often than not, people won't give you a lot of time to get your point across and get it across quickly. Right, right, right. Well, and I always say, if you're dealing with senior leaders, how many meetings do they have in the course of a day? You know, dozens, hundreds. How many ideas are presented in that meeting? And you want somebody to remember your idea at the end of the day and preferably at the end of the month as well. You got to get it sharp. I love talking to you because all of these great new ideas are coming to me or things I, I wasn't even going to talk about. Uh, you just reminded me of something. I think this is very valuable okay. for all your listeners. A billionaire uh, venture capitalist who's on the Forbes billionaire list once yeah. told me, Carmine, this is the advice you need to give all of your clients. And I said, what is it? What is it? Manage the email. Manage the email. So, okay, what is this? <laughs> Sorry. You, you know, you're, you're speaking. Yeah, right. And, uh, and it is wisdom, but I, I don't know what you're saying said when a, a venture capitalist listens to a pitch, and it doesn't have to be VC, this could be a customer, anybody, yeah. but they're listening to your idea. They're, gonna, they're not going to make the decision on their own. They're going to go back to their computer and shoot off an email to other people in the team, their partners, their other decision makers. What are they going to say? What is the one thing that they're going to remember and they're going to put in the email? 
Great. It's up to you to craft it for them. Great. It all gets back to the same thing. Everything. Right. We're just looking at it from completely different angles. I've looked at it from... I, I read a book uh, about the, uh, the TED organizer wrote a wonderful public speaking book called TED Talks. He mm-hmm. says the same thing. He says it's, they call it the through line. I read mm-hmm. a communication book by Alan Alda, the actor. He calls it mm-hmm. something else. You called it something else. Uh, pro- Hollywood producers call it the log line. The point is, what is, in one sentence, what are you trying to sell me? What is your big idea in one sentence? Okay. I love it. I love it, Carmine. Fabulous. All right. Amazing how quickly time goes. We're going to take a break. When we come back, so with me today is Carmine Gallo. The book we've been talking about is Five Stars, The Communication Secrets to Get from Good to Great. And I should say in this book, Carmine talks with a whole bunch of people. So economists, academics, NASA, Navy SEALs, entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, CEOs, a whole host of people to understand what it is that makes communication so powerful and effective and persuasive. And you've heard already we've got a lot of neuroscience that is sort of backing up what we've known for 3,000 years, back to Aristotle. And I think if there's one thing I take away from this entire segment, it's this notion of the log line. I love that. What's the one line? What's this pitch really about? Or even better, what is it that somebody writes in the email to their partners to describe why they should pay attention to you? Great strategy. When we come back, Carmine, I want to talk about storytelling, why storytelling matters, and how we do it in a better way. So we'll be right back. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events 
to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Leading outside of your comfort zone is a delicate balance. You need new skills and new ways of working. To reach the program today, send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. That's wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Carmine Gallo. Carmine Gallo has been called a communications guru, and you can see why based on the conversation that we've been having. He's written nine books on communication, including Talk Like Ted, The Storyteller's Secret, and the one we were just talking about, Five Stars, The Communication Secrets to Get from Good to Great. Now, I want to pick up on this notion of storytelling. Because Carmine said at the very beginning, and I fundamentally believe that we are hardwired to remember stories. At the same time, every time I turn to any senior leader and say, you need to tell a story, they look at me like I am coming out of nowhere. How on earth can I start that meeting with my senior executive team with a story? You must be kidding, Wanda. I heard the idea, but really. So, Carmine, start from the top. Why is storytelling so important? (laughs) <laughs> I I like the way you got into that. <laughs> they, they, they look at you with that puzzle look. Uh, you're kidding, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah right. storytelling is storytelling does that that word does have that type of effect on people. And it's it's interesting. I just don't I think in business when you go to business school or we take business classes, uh, they don't teach you about storytelling and yet it's what we do. That is the way humans process their world is through narrative. There's economists like uh, Yale, Robert uh, Schiller at, at, uh, at Yale, who's talking about how narrative influences the stock market and how narrative influences uh, the economy. Everything we do is based on the stories that we tell each other, the stories we tell ourselves. Uh, so it's, vi- it's very natural. And you mentioned that we're hardwired for it. In certain labs, there's a lab in L.A. and then a lab in Princeton, two different professors are, have been working on uh, learning more about storytelling. When two people are engaged in telling stories rather than just giving each other factual information, uh, there's a whole host of neurochemicals that are triggered in the brain, including uh, oxytocin, which is the moral molecule that bonds people together. Uh, there's cortisol that helps you pay attention. There's dopamine that makes you feel good, which is why every Hollywood movie almost always has to have a happy ending. Otherwise, people won't go to watch it. You know, th- there's a lot of things being done in the lab that reinforce that, yes, we are storytelling creatures. 
We love telling stories to one another. So why wouldn't you tell a story to open a meeting? Well, I think you should. <laughs> I think you should. But it doesn't have to be a personal story. Wanda, it doesn't have to be. Here's what happened to me on the way to this podcast interview today. It can be stories about the people you serve, your customers. Let me give you an example. Uh, there's a gentleman who I've, I interviewed for the book named David Feinberg, uh, Dr. Hey. David Feinberg. Dr. David Feinberg is an interesting uh, person in healthcare. He transformed the UCLA Medical Center from the, the bottom in terms of patient satisfaction to the top 1% of all hospitals in the country. Then he went on to another hospital system in Pennsylvania to do the same thing. And most recently, uh, starting this year, he has been hired by Google to oversee their new healthcare initiative. So that's kind of secretive. You know, we don't know what exactly he's going to do, but we know that uh, he's the one who's been tapped for it. David Feinberg is a storyteller. When I interviewed him, he was the first person to bring up the word storytelling. I said, how did you do it? How did you transform UCLA from the bottom to the top? He said, well, it starts with storytelling, Carmine. Storytelling is hugely important, he said, in leadership. Okay, what do you mean by that? Meetings. You brought up meetings, Wanda, so I'm going to talk about a meeting. He said... Uh, when I, uh, he said, when I first started as, as CEO, I would walk into these monthly meetings with all of our senior leaders from different parts of the hospital, and they would start with the financials. They would start with the metrics. How many heads in beds did we, they call it heads in beds, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. what was the occupancy rate? You know, it's all the metrics. Well, the metrics don't do anything for patient satisfaction. So what he started doing is, no, we're going to spend the first 30 minutes of our meeting telling stories. I want to hear stories from you. I want to hear stories of patients, real patients telling real stories. What are their frustrations? What do they like? What, do they didn't, what didn't they like? And if they're bad stories, we need to hear those too, because that's the only way we're going to change. He would invite patients in to start the meetings, because he, he wanted to help people realize that there is a person behind each of these metrics. They weren't focused on the patient. They were focused on the metrics. So by, ta- by bringing those stories to life, that's how he began the system of changing a culture. Okay. You can't change the culture by just changing the metrics or delivering information. People have to internalize what you're trying to do and how, how best do we internalize, but through real stories of real people. So think a little more creatively. How's this, Wanda? Think out of the comfort zone <laughs> when it comes to telling stories. It doesn't have to be, here's something personal that happened to me. I think that's why the, the leaders that you know, you've mentioned, and I get that too, are a little scared or, or a little skeptical of storytelling. I've got to tell a story about growing up. And, you know. uh, so right. I, I think that you have to just be a little more creative. Stories don't mean just about you. It could be about... A case study. Case studies are stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Um, I'm going to come back to something you said just for the fun of it, this whole notion of changing a culture. I've thought for ages that you could understand a culture by understanding the stories people tell each other about what really happened around here or what we really do around here. And I also think you can change a culture by changing the stories that people tell. Just a sideline note. I could use note. that as a chapter in my book. See, I should have talked to you sooner. 
I should have read your book earlier. <laughs> that would have been even better. There we go. Um, or should have gone along with those lines. But it's fascinating, this notion of the kind of stories that you tell, because I do think people have a hard time understanding what do I have, what story do I have that's relevant? And I think they worry about being irrelevant. So if you start with this customer perspective or um, satisfaction perspective or frustration perspective or problem to be solved and why that matters, you start to begin to see a story that would make sense. Now, and it takes the pressure off you, right? You don't have to tell a story about yourself. Some people don't want to be that personal necessarily, yeah. although I think you should be, uh, but yeah. we could talk about that later. But yeah, that's, it makes it easy. Yeah. Okay. So tell me, how do you get people to tell? Is there a structure that you get people to use to tell stories? Do you have some formulas or some advice for being a better storyteller? Oh, okay. Now, this gets complicated, um, just from a psychological perspective. I, I, I do have a structure, so we'll talk about the structure in just a minute. Um, and the structure, again, is not new. A very smart man named Aristotle actually came up with it. So we'll, we'll talk <laughs> about the structure in a minute. But the, uh, it, it kind of gets into psychological things. You, you can't just tell people to be storytellers. You can't just ask people uh, to tell you a story. Tell me a story. Uh, they're not, leaders don't know where to go with that. So I, I walk them through the process. Uh, here's a good example, true example that happened to me when I was working with a startup of a healthcare, healthcare startup. Um, and I asked him, I said, what do you, what do you do? What do you do? And he said, well, I'm the CEO of a healthcare company. I said, uh, okay, that's what you do, I guess. Uh, that's not a story, right? Just what do you do? I said, well, tell me more about the, uh, what are you passionate about? Tell me more about the, the product itself. Uh, well, we make it easier to detect cancer through blood testing. Okay, so the, what's happening here, Wanda? He's not giving me anything that's emotional. There's no story. It's just factual. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm, pro- I'm prodding him. And I'm asking him. And then I, I came up with this phrase that I heard from Steve Jobs once, and I, I dropped it on him. I, I was a little embarrassed because I thought it sounds too, you know, new agey. But I asked the CEO, I said, what makes your heart sing? Can you imagine <laughs> that? <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, this is the Oprah moment, right? What right. makes your heart sing? And he, he paused. He looked around the room. There were a bunch of other people around the room. They're all rolling their eyes, thinking this is ridiculous. So we're around the room, and he said, gosh, what makes my heart sing? Well, let me tell you this. There was a, uh, a, an oncologist was working with a cancer patient. Uh, the patient did not have very long to live. And so as a last-ditch measure, they had heard about our company. They took our therapies, and they discovered through our testing that they were treating the wrong type of cancer. They changed the they changed the therapy, and within you know six weeks there was no detectable cancer. They don't call it cancer free. They just say you know no right. detectable cancer. And then he paused and he kind of got teary eyed. You know, and this is the first time there was like an emotional moment. And he said, Carmine, it's those stories that keep me burning the midnight oil and working through the night. And you can hear uh-huh. in the yeah, but the way he told it, Wanda, I'm not doing justice. I mean, he really kind of went into yeah. it, and it was very emotional. And the people around the office looked at him and said, "We've never heard that. You never." And he said, "No one ever asked." So sometimes you have to elicit 
the stories from people. And you have to elicit your own stories and really dig deep to identify what is it that I'm passionate about? What is it that keeps me going and gets me up in the morning in this company or, or in this particular organization? And you'll find that more often than not, the answer will be a story. It won't be a factual, it won't be factual information that I can find on your website. It'll be a story. Wow. So that just so means if I go around here, asking people. feely <laughs> What's that? I said, if I go around asking people, what keeps you going? Yeah. Why do you keep coming in day in and day out? Or what makes your heart sing? I'm not sure I've got the courage to ask that one, but last ditch, I would go for that one. <laughs> I've only done it a couple times, believe me. Uh, but you can also ask, what are you passionate? What are you truly passionate about? You know, Because if you're truly passionate, they're not going to go into metrics. Uh, so, yeah, so there are different ways of eliciting those, uh, those stories. I also like, I think this is really important to bring up, I also like the fact of when leaders or entrepreneurs talk, bring up um, stories of struggle and overcoming struggle. And some people are reluctant to do that. But if you talk to Richard Branson, he's very open about talking about being kicked out of high school and uh, having dyslexia and having a learning disability and how hard that was for him. Uh, but how he's, his brain, the way it works, was able to you know, create something so successful. So this whole idea of overcoming your adversities, that's mm-hmm. an mm-hmm. amazing way of connecting with people on a yeah. far more yeah. emotional level. Yeah. I believe so that's where we, really, you know, yeah, go ahead. where we really build rapport. Yeah. is yeah. when I tell you about something I don't do so well or had to work really hard on or I've struggled with. Now, I want the upside of it. I don't want just the dark side of, oh, this is awful and I can't succeed. But here's what I did and here's how I did it and this is how this has formed me. I think that's where trust, rapport, connection, all of that good stuff comes from. I, w- I had a conversation with a, uh, a CEO of a temp company, a very large company, temp company uh, that's glo- or all over the America, and he had this story that he just wrote me in a letter, and it, almost, it made me cry, and it made my wife cry. I mean, it was just this really heartfelt story about uh, something that happened to him when he was in a high school sports team, and he, you know, they were uh, from a laborers. Um, his parents were immigrant laborers, you know, that type of thing, yeah. and it was very, very poor. Anyway, so he goes into this story, which I won't, won't tell you the whole story, but it was very, very heartfelt and emotional. But the point was that that story is what triggered him to, be, uh, to give back to communities, which is why his company is really into volunteer work and getting all their two or 3,000 employees to put in all these volunteer hours throughout the community. They're really big on that. They get a lot of awards for it. And, and so I said, just in passing, well, I'm sure all your employees know that story because that's the reason why you've created a company that's you know, very heavy into philanthropy and volunteering. And he said, yeah, no, I, I don't tell that story. <laughs> I said, well, okay, okay wait a minute. <laughs> so here's a story about what happened to you when you were in high school about why, uh, how it triggered you into being more of a philanthropist and giving back even when you didn't have that much money and, and you never told that story. He said, yeah, it's a little too personal. 
I said, well, wow. it's not an embarrassing story. I mean, yeah, you were poor. You didn't have enough to eat. You know, that kind of thing. But, and you came through the other side, and now you're this ultra success. That's a powerful story. And he was reluctant to tell it, and then he started telling it. And now, Wanda, <laughs> he's, it's on his website. He tells it in all his <laughs> presentations. <laughs> You know, I mean, he's just, because he, he, he realized very early on that by telling that story, it made his own employees and his customers and his clients have a more meaningful, emotional connection with him. You know, so I think people are just reluctant to kind of bring up some things from the past or the hurdles that they've had to overcome. I don't know if they, they think it makes them look weak. You know, John Chambers, this is a good, this is a good point. I'm sorry, I'm, go, I'm riffing on so many That's different okay. topics here, but they're, they're all related. Uh, John Chambers, I just uh, talked to a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he wasn't in the Five Stars book, but I just talked to him. He is the former CEO of Cisco Systems. He uh, took Cisco from $70 million to $47 billion a year. And he, too, like Richard Branson, has dyslexia. And he told me, point blank, uh, that he was reluctant to ever disclose that because he thought, as a leader of one of the most valuable companies in the world, I don't want to seem vulnerable. You know, I, I should be strong and great at everything I do. I don't want to tell people I've got a reading disorder. And he said yeah. it accidentally came out. It accidentally came out during a, a, a conference. He was not intending to ever say that. That moment when people realized that he was dyslexic, all of a sudden his employees started sending him emails and messages saying they've never been more inspired. And he started talking about it openly and giving interviews. And he realized, wait a this is my strength. It's my strength because, like Branson, I can look at things differently. So he, he reframed the way he thought about his own uh, struggles and hardships. Right, right, right. It, but he was reluctant think, to. He told me I didn't yeah, want yeah. to do it. I didn't think it was proper for me as the leader to expose myself like that. I see that so many times, and especially with um, underrepresented populations like with women or with other minorities, there's this fear that I can't appear weak in any way. And if I show a weakness, you will use that against me. But the power of being able to talk about that weakness, but talk about it in a way that's here's the strength out of it. I give the upside to it, not just the dark side. It's amazing. I guess that's the big caveat, isn't it, Wanda? I mean, if there is no upside, then it doesn't make much of a story. We still need, no. we go, we need the whole arc. We need the whole story arc. Yeah, right. That's right. That's right. The story anyway, has to come that's around. That's what makes great movies, doesn't it? That's what makes that's great right. movies. I mean, you, you want right. to see Rocky succeed in the end. And Rocky yeah. doesn't necessarily need to win. Rocky, right. Rocky did not win in his first movie, but he was transformed by the experience. Right. So we want to hear about the transformation. And I find it's interesting that in John Chambers' case, employees said they were inspired. That's what I hear all the time. The inspiration comes through in the story and the personal connection and the emotion. And the, oh no, I mean, it's like watching a movie. You're right about that one. So going off just for a minute here on this one, Carmine, we've only got a couple minutes till we close. Is this why this purpose, you know, companies having a sense of purpose, do you think this is why that's becoming such a big deal, as in, tell me the story about what you're trying to achieve as a company? 
I think this whole purpose-driven, uh, you know, revolution, the meaning revolution, I, I saw a book on that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think people are looking for more purpose from their, from their employers and their companies. I don't think that's a question. How do you do that? Uh, I think the only tool that we have, and certainly the best rhetorical tool we have, is, is to create purpose on the back of, of stories and narrative. So those stories can be of the founding the, the or, what's called the origin story. In, um, in academic literature, we call it the origin story. So it can be the origin story of how something was founded. Uh, Howard Schultz at Starbucks, everybody knows that. Everybody who works mm-hmm. for Starbucks knows that he grew up poor in Brooklyn in a housing project. His dad got hurt on the job and did not have workers' comp. Mm-hmm. And that's why Howard Schultz was the first, Starbucks was the first company to offer everyone uh, health insurance, even part-time workers. Yeah, so right. it kind of gets back to that origin story, and that gives people a sense of meaning or purpose. Other companies, uh, you could use your background story or the stories like Dave Feinberg over at UCLA Medical Center, the stories of real patients and real customers. So that gives you that meaning as well. So there's different ways of looking at storytelling, uh, mm-hmm. And there's certainly a lot of good books on storytelling that, uh, yeah. mine, of course, but also yes, of course. Um, Alan Alda, you know, he, he wrote a great book. It's, um, it's widely available, the actor, and it's a wonderful book yeah. on communication skills, but it's, it too goes into storytelling. So there's resources out there to help you understand what, what it means to be a better storyteller. Just understand that everyone's doing this. A lot right. of companies are looking at this. Big companies, too, SAP, Microsoft, Google. Everyone's looking at storytelling. Uh, Not everyone knows how to do it well yet. They're studying it. But understand that your competitors are probably looking at it. Uh, And it comes naturally to us. So any one of us can be a great storyteller. We do it naturally. Yeah. Yeah, that's what everybody says that has studied this in great depth is that you don't need to know how to tell the story. You just need to be willing willing to tell it. Once you're willing to tell it, the rest kind of comes with it. All right, Carmine, you have one minute literally. If you have one piece of advice for people listening, what's your piece of advice? Uh, one piece of advice is something that I've learned from writing my last three books is anyone can build the skills to be much more persuasive than ever before. Anyone can be a great public speaker and communicator. Uh, If you watch the great communicators of all time, the great speech makers of all time, going back to Abraham Lincoln or or Martin Luther King or Warren Buffett, they all worked at it. They worked at it. Uh, Public speaking doesn't always come naturally, and it takes a while to develop those skills. But those skills can be developed. Warren Buffett was terrified of public speaking, and he says so very publicly, but he worked at it, and he took a, he took a public speaking course, and he raised his value significantly. So anyone can learn the skills we're talking about today. Don't be afraid of learning them. Have the courage to step out and be a better communicator. Okay. Fabulous. Carmine, it's been a wonderful show, inspirational, and I know we could go on for another couple of hours talking about more of the details. The book we talked about at the beginning, Five Stars, The Communication Secrets to Get from Good to Great, and we've also just been talking about the storyteller secret um, for further advice on how you can improve your skills. I think the takeaway out of this one is how powerful stories are to inspire and to change a culture. And anybody can learn it. So, Carmen, thanks for being a guest today. 
Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me. It's with pleasure. And join us next week for another episode on getting out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week. Oh,